grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. On Sunday, we heard Jesus' teaching on his second coming from Matthew's gospel. How no man, no one knows that day or hour. And therefore, we are to keep awake, right? This is a message not, that we are not to grow lackadaisical and lazy towards the things of God. But as a matter of fact, because we don't know when Jesus is going to return, that means that we are to stay awake, right? We are to remain committed to the Christian habits of worship, of prayer, Bible reading, of repentance, and living in Christian community so that we may live the Christian life with an awareness and an intentionality in everything that we do. Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. And the single most important thing that we can invest ourselves in is to be found in Him on the last day. That's it. That is what we give our entire lives to. We give ourselves to it with abandon knowing that He freely grants us that salvation without any merit or any worthiness in and of ourselves, but also knowing that the sinful world, the flesh, and the devil do not want us to have that gift of salvation. So we stay awake. We keep watch. And I called that Christian commitment that we have faithful vigilance. It's one of the themes that, that Advent teaches and emphasizes for us, that we are to be a watchful and vigilant people, never caught off guard by the enemy, and even that we are to watch for one another, to watch for one another, to help each other stay awake in the spiritual battle. And when it comes to this subject of watchfulness and vigilance, we have this clear example in the Old Testament reading, which is appointed for the festival of St. Andrew. It's in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 3 tells us how the prophet Ezekiel was set apart by God for the task of being a watchman for his kindred in the land of Israel. All right? And it all comes in this broader context of Ezekiel's unique call into the prophetic ministry that he was going to be a witness to those in the southern kingdom because Judah was really messing up and Judah was staring down the barrel of a Babylonian exile. And so Ezekiel's job was to go and proclaim God's law and his promises to them even though God told them that most of the people are not going to listen to you. So we're going to hear in just a minute about St. Andrew's connection to this passage but for now, consider what God gave Ezekiel to do and what was going on during that time. He was going to speak God's word to them. He was going to bear witness to the testimonies and to the oracles of God, whether people would hear him or whether they would not. And to what end was he called to speak God's word? To what end? For what purpose? Well, in our passage, God lines out exactly what was going to go down as Ezekiel, got, uh, as Ezekiel brought God's message to bear with two different kinds of people. There were the wicked, those who refused to hear God's word, those who refused to give him glory and honor, those who refused to repent, the wicked. And then there were the righteous, those who believed and trusted in the words and promises of God. And in the case of the wicked, Ezekiel was called to warn them of the judgment that was to come. For them, they were going to be carried off into Babylonian captivity soon. Not to mention, friends, there was also the threat of eternal punishment. And the stakes were high. 
not just for the wicked, but also for the prophet. Why? Because God said, if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. So what God says here cannot be overlooked. There are two scenarios here involving the wicked. The only difference between those two scenarios is that in one case, Ezekiel warns them, and in the other case, he does not. In both scenarios, the wicked are condemned because they refuse to listen to God. But for the prophet, he would be guilty of their blood if he failed to warn them. And it mattered not whether they refused to hear him. And then God lined out a similar direction, similar instructions for Ezekiel regarding his ministry to the righteous. God's people who had faith in him, that's the righteous category. And for those righteous members of the household of faith who fell away from the faith, they would be judged, but so would the prophet who failed to warn them. But if Ezekiel warned the backslider and that person repented, that person would be spared as well as Ezekiel. And God would go on eventually in chapter 33 to give almost the exact same instructions to a T, only this time the context was going to be different. See, in chapter 3, they had yet to go into exile. But in chapter 33, they were in it. And so Ezekiel's instructions were the same. To warn the righteous, to warn the wicked. Whether it was out of exile or in exile, that was his job. He was to bring God's word to bear in the lives of others so that they would turn from sin and death and so that they would receive God's promises of life and salvation. It means that some would be awakened by the gospel and others would stay awake in the gospel. So what is God telling Ezekiel here in so many words? He's telling him to warn everyone, whether they were a believer or not, that all might repent, that all might be spared the coming judgment. Ezekiel need not concern himself with whether he was listened to or with whether people were taken by his, his great wisdom and his eloquent words and his ability to speak. His job was to deliver God's threats and promises for their current situation and let God sort them out. That was it. And if he was faithful to that task, he would have clean hands and a clear conscience. He would not be responsible for other people's wickedness and their hardness of heart. But if he grew complacent or failed to live up to his duties, God would hold that against him. What does Ezekiel's unique call have to do with our situation today? No, you and I are not Ezekiel, and no, we are not faced with the looming threat of Babylonian captivity. You and I are not that unique prophet that God called. But here's the deal. All the words of the prophets of the Old Testament were fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ as he came into this world as the final end times prophet, as the very word of God made flesh. And through his atoning death on the cross, he purchased and won us for himself from sin, death, and the devil, 
And he made us his own people, his church, where our connection to him by holy baptism has made us prophets, priests, and kings in the household of faith. 1 Peter 2. All Christians, by virtue of our calling in the gospel, have that task of bearing witness, of bearing witness to the oracles and the testimonies of God that that is in the gospel, in the coming of Jesus, in His life, His death, His resurrection. We have that task of bearing witness to the good news in our vocations, wherever God has placed us. How often are we more concerned with being liked than being faithful? Pastors have that unique call to publicly bear witness to the whole counsel of God, to preach law and gospel, to preach the Lord's word in season and out of season, to rightly handle and divide the word of truth. But there's so much pressure just to be liked, to to gain a platform, to gain social standing by telling people what they want to hear rather than remaining faithful to the Lord's will. It's no fun to call the unbeliever to repent and believe the gospel. It's no fun to call the backslider to repent and believe the gospel. But that is what God has given his called servants to do. But what about the laity? What about Christians in general? How difficult is it for us to talk about our faith in everyday life, whether with believers or unbelievers? Has there been a time when you were supposed to speak up? When, when you were supposed to faithfully bear witness to the truth, but you let it pass you by? Me too. Sometimes we're worried that we'll say the wrong thing. Other times it's just pure cowardice. You know, we're, we're worried what others might think of us. We think, well, they're not going to listen, so what's the point anyway? Why even bother? But should that be our concern? The Lord does not call us to be the most proficient evangelists, nor the most eloquent speakers, not even the most winsome of people, although those, all those qualities are good and they often help. Don't worry about that so much. What He calls us to, brothers and sisters, is faithfulness to bearing witness to who he is and what he's done for the world in Christ through the gospel. And just as in Ezekiel's day, there is judgment coming, but this time there's no return. It is a final judgment. Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. We confess that all the time in our creeds. He is coming to sort it all out. And for those who have refused to listen to God's word, its threats, and its promises, they will be cast out. This is real life. This is serious business. We must take the Lord seriously in his call to repentance and faith and the urgency to proclaim Christ crucified, lest we be guilty of neglecting our call. In St. John's Gospel, we're introduced to St. Andrew, the first to receive Jesus' call of discipleship. He was a student of John the Baptist. 
And he was standing there near his very eclectic teacher one day whenever Jesus walked by. And John bore witness. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And upon hearing John the Baptist's testimony concerning the Christ, Andrew went and proclaimed that message to his brother and immediately brought him to Jesus. Andrew is responsible for bringing Peter to Jesus. And from there, Jesus did the rest. As we know that he raised Peter up to become the chief among the apostles. He raised Peter up to be the chief among the apostles. And listen, it was not Andrew's job to save his brother. It was not his job to save his brother, nor to create faith in his heart. Andrew just thought it was a natural thing to do, to bring Simon Peter to Jesus and let Jesus do the rest. And through the word of the gospel, Andrew became God's faithful watchman. Much like Ezekiel, who was called to warn and to comfort Judah both before and during the Babylonian captivity. Ezekiel was told by God that he would not have much success. But some would believe on account of his witness. Some would. You and me, like Ezekiel, we're not guaranteed any success. Although we should pray for that, right? When we tell others about God's threats and His promises in the Bible, whenever we tell them about Christ's return for judgment, a lot of times people will call us crazy. But like Andrew, we are instruments of the Holy Spirit who are called to bring others to Jesus. Our concern is not success, although we should pray for it. Our concern is being faithful to our witness, as Ezekiel was in his day, to be faithful to our witness, as Andrew was in his day. Andrew would go on to bring the gospel to the shores of Greece and Turkey, and he would bring the gospel to places like Georgia, not Georgia, Georgia, that, the other Georgia, and Cyprus, and historic tradition records that he was martyred for his faith, that he gave his life on account of the crucified and risen Jesus. He was actually crucified on an X-shaped cross. And if you can see St. Andrew here, he's carrying an X-shaped cross because he said he was not worthy to be crucified on one like his Lord. So that's his sign. Coincidentally enough, do you know what the word martyr means? Witness. In life and in death, Andrew shows us what it means to be a watchman, a witness to the Lord Jesus. So when, when we consider what it means to live an Advent life, that Advent life of watchfulness, that life of vigilance, whenever you consider your calling to bear witness to others, think of Andrew, whose primary concern was to bring others to Jesus. Let him do the rest. Someone brought you to Jesus. Whether they brought you to the baptismal font, whether they brought you to church, whether they set you on their lap and read you God's word, they brought you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit used them to get to you, to grab a hold of you and make you one of God's people. 
And he wants to use you and I to do the same for others as we learn to live as Advent people, as we wait and as we watch for our Lord's return. So leave it to St. Paul as we close out. Leave it to St. Paul to give us this nice connection between Ezekiel's ministry and how that plays out in the life of the church today and the kingdom that Jesus will bring upon his return. Colossians 1.28 says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And that wisdom which we are called to speak might be foolishness to the world and to those who are perishing, but called to speak it we are. That wisdom which the world deems foolishness is Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. It's that word of the cross that is near to you and that is in your heart and in your mouth by which we are justified and saved. And it's the gospel, the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So may the Lord form us into his willing instruments. May he make us into his mouthpieces through which he brings many into his kingdom as we await our Lord's return in glory. Amen.